Tonight, I want to look at a passage from Acts chapter 2 and look at really the first place in the New Testament where we begin to see this thing called the church coming together. It happens, if you know uh, the book of Acts, Acts 2 is Pentecost where uh, the Lord sends the Holy Spirit and it falls in the apostles. Peter preaches that powerful sermon where literally thousands come to faith in Christ. And then we get this sweet little passage about what I think the church and our goal should be. So I'm going to read that first. And then there's so much we could talk about tonight. I'm going to try to keep it as short as I can. But let's first look to Acts 2, starting in verse 42. And they, the early Christians, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let me pray for us, and I want to think together for a little bit tonight about this thing called the church. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, it is a lamp into our feet. It is a light into our path. Lord, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that it, it, it holds before our eyes this vision of what your bride, Lord Jesus, uh, can be, is meant to be, should be, will one day fully be. And Lord, I, I pray that as we think through together um, your church tonight, for those of us who maybe uh, show up and we have felt very hurt by the church, would you minister unto us especially? Uh, or for those of us who really are experienced of the church, maybe even from the moment we were born, has been sweet and beautiful, or would you move us to give thanks to you for that? But Lord, would you be the one who ministers in just the ways that we need tonight through your word? We ask these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. All right, so about a year ago, uh, a friend turned me on to what I think is the best speech I've ever heard slash read. It's famously called the Whiskey Speech. And uh, picture yourself, it's 1952, Mississippi. Prohibition is still being debated. And this um, young, or this, the Senator Noah Sweat uh, has been asked what, is, what his thoughts are about prohibition. What his thoughts are about whiskey in particular. And here's how it goes. He says this. Here's the speech. It's short and sweet. He says, my friends, I had not intended to discuss this controversial subject at this particular time. However, I want you to know that I do not shun controversy. On the the contrary, I will take a stand on any issue at any time, regardless of how fraught with controversy it might be. You have asked me how I feel about whiskey. All right, here is how I feel about whiskey. If when you say whiskey, you mean the devil's brew, the poison scourge, The bloody monster that defiles innocence, dethrones reason, destroys the home, creates misery and poverty, yea, literally takes the bread from the mouths of little children. If you mean the evil drink that topples the Christian man and woman from the pinnacle of righteous, gracious living into the bottomless pit of degradation and despair and shame and helplessness and hopelessness, then certainly I am against it. But if when you say whiskey... You mean the oil of conversation, the philosophic wine, 
the ale that is consumed when good fellows get together, that puts a, a song in their hearts and laughter on their lips and the warm glow of contentment in their eyes. If you mean Christmas cheer, if you mean the stimulating drink that puts the spring in the old gentleman's step on a frosty, crispy morning, if you mean the drink which enables a man to magnify his joy and happiness and to forget, if only for a little while, life's great tragedies and heartaches and sorrows, if you mean that drink, the sale of which pours into our treasuries untold millions of dollars, which are used to provide tender care for our little children, our blind, our deaf, our dumb, our pitiful aged and infirm, to build highways and hospitals and schools, then certainly I am for it. This is my stand. I will not retreat from it. I will not compromise. Here's what I want to do. If by the church you mean that country club of the rich, the gathering spot for the self-righteous, the megaphone for a particular political party, an echo chamber of the like-minded, the oppressor of the poor and the different, the perpetrator of abuse and power and racism and sexism and narcissism, a ladder for the power-hungry to climb, the marketplace in which souls are bought and sold, the concert arena for cheap entertainment, then certainly I am against it. But if by the church you mean the beloved bride of Jesus, the green pasture of the good shepherd, the hospital for sinners, the resting place for the weary, the, the fireplace by which we are warmed by the fire of God's love, the perpetual kindergarten to learn kindness and love and joy and goodness and peace and faithfulness and patience and self-control, the dysfunctional family of God in which everyone is invited and regardless of race or class or creed or disastrous personality, the home in which we are known for our costly love, the gathering place of the forgiven and forgiving where the gospel is preached and practiced, where the only members are those who know they have no business being there except for the grace of God, then certainly I'm for it. When we're talking about the church, it's complicated. But what I want to do uh, is just try to, so when we think about this passage we read tonight, and, and how is it that we can be, so the church, put simply, it is the people of God. It is the fellowship of believers. It is the household of God. But for me, Acts 2, 42 through 47 presents this beautiful picture of what we're meant to be. And what I want to do tonight is think through what does it take? What, would, what does it look like for us to get to that place where we actually are the church? And there are four things that I think that we have to have if we are going to be the church. Um, here they are. Community. Humility, vulnerability, and gospel centrality. Humility, or community, humility, vulnerability, and gospel centrality. We're just going to go fast one by one. First, community. I want you to notice in Acts 2 how often they were together. They were together all the time. It's been said, rightly said, the church is not a place we go. It's a people. So when we're talking about this idea of what does it look like for us to be the church, to love the church... It's less a place that we go, and it's more something that you and I are meant to join others in being and becoming. If we belong to Jesus, we are the church. 
But to be the church, I'm going to use this phrase. It's always make, I love it, but I think it makes you uncomfortable. We need thick community. Can we say thick community? We're going to keep saying thick community. We need deep community. We need tight community. We need togetherness. Uh, to often eat together, to laugh together, to play together, to serve together, to learn together, to process together, to cry together, together. And here's the rub. Is we struggle to belong, we struggle to be together because we are determined to belong first and foremost to ourselves. It's what's been termed in America rugged individualism. There is something in us that grates against this idea of community, that we need each other, that we belong first to God, but by the grace of God, we belong to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so often what happens is in our longing to express ourselves and our longing to be our quote-unquote real selves, we kill community because we don't want to be together. We want to be something else. We want to be special. Uh, there's a book that's pretty fascinating that came out recently. It's by this guy, Alan Noble. Uh, and the whole idea of the book is that we don't, uh, we, you do not belong to yourself. And here's what he says. He says, we must find ways of living in the contemporary world that insist that we are not our own, but belong to God. Ways of living that testify to our radical dependence upon God for our existence and preservation, not as a part of a grand strategy for saving our society, but as simple, faithful acts of love. If we're ever going to be the church, we're going to be much together in our need for one another. Um, Ted Lasso, if you've, this is, I'm going to try not to spoil things, but if, you've watched, if you're watching season two or watch season two of Ted Lasso, one of the most painful journeys, one of the sweetest, if you've seen season one, doesn't matter if you have, one of the sweetest storylines of season one is how Ted loves this little, uh, this manager, Nate, this young kind of fresh faced manager who's awkward, doesn't know his place. And Ted literally and the, and the team love him into this position where he becomes a coach. But then in season two, you watch this painful journey where you watch Nate, who has been literally loved, loved into this position, this new position of coaching but you watch him begin in his pride to try to establish himself. And without spoiling anything, you watch this painful journey where Nate slowly, 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 in the name of, his, of being something, in the name of expressing himself out of a place of deep insecurity, ruins the community. And that's our tension. We, we need each other and we struggle to be together. But if we're not together in this way, we're never going to be the church as we're meant to be. So first community, but then two humility. And here, can I say it this way? Notice that community wasn't the goal in Acts 2. Humble dependence upon God was the goal. And they knew they couldn't do it alone. They knew they needed each other to get there. And that takes humility. Do you see that? There can be no real community, especially God-centered community, if without humility and there is no real humility without community without knowing how much we need each other to be the church we need humility for the lord to make us humble in our dependence on him to show us our need for him and to show us our need for one another so just notice for a second what they devoted themselves to because this is where we see the, the early church's humility they devoted themselves the passage says to the apostles teaching to fellowship, think encouragement, to breaking bread, think hospitality, and to the prayers, literally to, to, to calling out to God together. 
Here's the way I want you to see it. They devoted themselves to being needy. They devoted themselves to saying, I am someone who is deeply in need. I need Christ. I need my brothers and sisters. In other words, they were saying, I need to learn. I need encouragement. I need intimacy, closeness. I need to make my needs and help you make your needs known to God. I don't need to miss. Here's, when I say humility, we talk about this a lot in our because I think it's crucial to just being, being a Christian. Like, like you became a Christian because you were humbled enough to say, I have sins that I can't forgive myself for and I need Jesus to die for me. Like you're, we are humbled into becoming Christians. But so often I think when we talk about humility in our culture, we think about it like a personality trait. Like that, that guy or that girl is really humble. But I want you to see in, in this biblical context, it's not a personality trait. It's actually like a practice. It flows from knowing how much we need Jesus and one another. But here again is the rub. I keep saying here's the rub. I got um, brining turkey on my on my mind. So we're just gonna keep going. We're just gonna keep going with that. Here's the rub. Why is humility hard for us? The easy answer is pride. But here's the way I want to do it. Humility is hard for us because we need to feel special. Humility is hard for us because we need to feel loved and liked. Because we need to feel important. Because we need to feel needed. So instead of confessing that in humility to one another, we scheme ways to do it just in the context of the church or a ministry. So the most important podcast listen, I think, of the last year is this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I know some of you have listened to it. It traces the journey, though, of this one-time kind of big deal in the Reformed evangelical world. His name, the church was called Marcel. The pastor's name was called Mark Driscoll. And it's a hard listen, especially if you've had church hurt. A lot of us have had church hurt in our lives, and, and that podcast is hard. And on the one hand, I think this because the church so often does the Lord's work in the world's way without question, a lot of people get hurt. There's a lot of collateral damage, and we have to wrestle with what, what does it mean, humility, to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. That's what the church is meant to be, to, do the, to carry out the great commission, to carry out what it means to live a life of glory to God, but in the way of Jesus, not in the way of the world. So the, the podcast traces the story of the, the rise to fame, mega fame within the Christian world of Mark Driscoll, and then the painful, painful, painful fall from grace and they interview so many people who are hurt by the church, who are hurt by Mark Driscoll. Um, but, but, but the main takeaway every time for me, this is, we need this story so we don't repeat it, is it's the story of a pastor who needed more and more to feel important and powerful. And this is where the podcast is genius. And the ways that we're complicit in it. The American church. The ways in which we apparently need Thousands of us in this church's situation need an important and powerful and successful pastor, and it's a plague. And you, you are going to be the answer one way or another. Is that the church you want? And I I pray not. Without humility... All we will do 
is use and hurt one another to meet our own needs. There won't be any real community. And we won't be the church that Jesus loves and died for. I think about it a different way. uh, I'm a pretty pretty big comedy guy. Um, Chris Rock, this is years ago now, but I think it's his last special still, Tambourine. It's my favorite bit of, he's talking about relationship. He's talking about the breakup of his marriage, the breakup of his community of marriage. And he makes this whole point. I'm just going to read it. It's in your handout. He says this, when you're in a relationship, you're in a band. And when you're in a band, you have roles that you play in the band. Someone has to be lead singer. And this is the whole point of the special. And someone has to stand in the back and play the tambourine. But you can't be competitive or jealous, he says, if you're on the tambourine. Play it right. Play it with a smile. Nobody wants to see a mad tambourine player. Play it like Tina Turner. This was my one chance. I realized before, this was my one chance. I've never done a prop in a sermon, but gosh, there's a tambourine right in that closet. And I was literally for half a second thought, about just, but I'm not a prop guy. So anyways, <laughs> without humility, you're, without playing, play this, we have to, we have to have humility to, to say your needs are more important than mine. I'm going to play the tambourine. Or we'll never be the church. So first, community. Second, humility. But this, these all flow together. Third, vulnerability. Because here's the deal. Notice that humility can't happen unless there's real vulnerability. And what I mean by that is a real confessing and exposing and sharing of what's going on in our lives and hearts and minds. And, and, in other words, instead of Acts 2, instead of hoarding their lives for themselves, they were sharing. It's beautiful. They were sharing. They were selling. They were distributing. They were serving with glad and generous hearts, it says. I.e. open hearts and lives. Vulnerability begins to happen when, when we, when you or I, are open and honest about my own needs and struggles. And when I'm devoted to helping meet your needs and struggles. And again, here's, here's the rub. The rub is that we prefer cheap vulnerability. What I mean by that is I want you to know so that I feel better what my needs and struggles are. But costly vulnerability says I'm open about my needs and struggles so that I can be of help to you and you can be of help to me because we both know how much we need to change and how much we need each other to change. Uh, there, uh, one of my favorite sermons of all time is this guy's name is Peter Hyatt. He was actually in, used to be in Denver, Colorado. And he wrote the sermon on the feeding of the 5,000 and it was on the heels of he had two friends in ministry, close friends in ministry, who he did not know until they both committed suicide, how deeply burned out and exhausted and depressed they were. He had two friends in ministry kill themselves. And he writes this sermon about vulnerability, about how as pastors and it's not, as people, as believers, we need, we need people to know us, to know our heart cries to know the painful parts of our stories. And he, he says it like this. I'm just going to, I don't think it's in your handout, but let me just listen. He says, when you have not, he's talking about how the beauty of uh, Jesus's disciples and, and he tells them feed the 5,000 and the little boy who just brings the, 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 the small amount of fish and loaves. And here's what he says. When you have nothing to give, give your nothing. Ironically, when we have nothing to give at last, everything can be done. 
It's easier to share your something than your nothing, your strength than your weakness, your wealth than your poverty. But Jesus produces an abundance from shared poverty. Shared poverty is like a banquet of grace. What is an AA meeting? It's an abundance of shared poverty. That's what a real church is too. Jesus took their nothing and made a feast. All that they had was all that Jesus needed. And it's only when you know you have nothing truly to present to God that you really begin to see your need for Jesus. And the question for us is, are we giving one another our nothing? Are we showing up in vulnerability? Are we showing up with one another and saying, here's really where I am? Chris Rock has another bit that I love where he talks about when you meet someone for the first time, you're, you're meeting the representative. You don't meet the real them. Y'all, it is so easy in this setting to never get past that. Where all we really know of each other is one another's representatives. But we don't know the real one another. And if we don't know the real one another, what are we doing? Like, why are we here? Um, yeah, you might have, I probably have told this story before. So one of my favorite friend stories, um, just awkward hotel stories. So he's in a hotel. I think it's around area of training, or I don't, I don't remember why he's in the hotel, but he's by himself. Normally his wife goes with him, and he, uh, normally he, he likes to sleep uh, in, the nude, in the nude. Can we say that? We can say that. He just likes to sleep with un, unhindered, unobstructed. And so he's, uh, he wakes up in a fog in the middle of the night, and he uh, goes out into what he thinks, opens what he thinks is the bathroom door, but it turns out to be the door into the hallway of his hotel. And he sort of like comes to and realizes, not only is he standing naked in the hall of this hotel, he has left his key card in the room. So he has a conundrum, Right. Uh, I mean, I like to put myself in this situation. What do you do? So the, as he tells the story, he like finds pray, the Lord's provision, the, the Lord's ram of the Mount Moriah. He finds, he finds this little towel cart and he like hides behind the towel cart and then quickly wraps himself in a towel. But that's still awkward enough walking through the hotel to get a new key card. So he actually walks outside the hotel, uh, you know, to the outside of the hotel and then edges along the building and then gets into the lobby and just explains what happens and then gets into his room. I love that image because I think that's us. I mean, it's, it's Genesis 3. We're naked and ashamed and we do everything to hide that nakedness. But you know the gospel. That Jesus sees you. <laughs> he sees you. The real you. And that's the you he loves. And that's the you he came for. I don't know how to land the, <laughs> I can't really land the plan of, let's, there, uh, you know, the line that's like, we need to expose ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, we need to, uh, okay, you're, we, <laughs> we need to be vulnerable. We need to be real. The righteousness of Jesus means I am, I can be naked and no longer, this is just awkward, but I can, and not ashamed, because I am covered with the righteousness of Jesus. We're never going to be the church without vulnerability, um, community, humility, vulnerability. And then lastly, and this is where we're going, is we're never going to be the church without gospel centrality. Think about it like this. Community and humility and vulnerability happened for Acts 2 early believers. Here's why. 
Because they never lost the message or the mission. They never lost the gospel. Uh, the, simple, the simplest way I can say it is this. The church didn't create the gospel. The gospel created the church. The good news of Jesus formed this community without the breathtaking news that God so loved you that he sent his only son to live the life of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and kindness and self-control that you and I could never hope to live. And he died the death that we rightly deserve for our selfishness, for our greed, for our lust, for our meanness, for the ways we use each other. For, the, for our lying and cheating and stealing and hurting and faking. Jesus, the Father sent Jesus for us. The gospel that says that Jesus so loved you that he left, we sing it, he left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite in his grace. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's dying race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. The gospel that says that you are more broken than you no much less want to admit. And yet, because of Jesus, you are more loved and cherished and delighted in than you know. The gospel that says, in the words of Paul, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ together, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that we've been saved. The gospel that says, one of my old favorite hymns, lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, glorious, complete, gloriously complete. It is finished, finished. What more could we ever do? The gospel that says you were so loved. I, I ran across I, uh, this person I follow on Twitter. They said it like this. I can't say it better. They said, I didn't become a Christian because, because someone shared about their awesome church. I became a Christian because someone shared the gospel. Preach the gospel, not your church. Let me close with this. Harry Potter. We've been doing Harry Potter. Uh, Again, I came across this quote about why is it that still there is so much mass appeal to Harry Potter? Like, why is it still such a thing? Why are we still so bought in? Here's what she said. She said, Harry Potter's mass appeal spoke to a generation cut off from institutional identity who longed to be part of something larger than themselves. For a certain evangelical, it paved the way back to liturgical worship, scripted prayer, in the great tradition. In other words, it drew them back to the church. Think about it like this. I'll close with this. Hogwarts. The place to find forever friends. To wrestle with your gifts and weaknesses. To feast. To laugh. To weep. To learn. To fail. To belong when you feel so different and so alone to give your life in a mission greater than yourself, to do magic. That's the church. Here's the only practical advice I have for you. Look for a local church, small c. If you're a believer, you belong to big c church. Look for a, a local small c church that is just trying to be this. Community. Community. 
humility, vulnerability, gospel centrality, and give yourself to it. I love RUF because we love the church. I say this, I need to say this more often. I love, like, I love y'all. I love my job. I'm, I'm ordained, we're connected to the church, we can do all that. But the rest of your Christian life, after you graduate South Carolina, is the church. So give yourself here, it's beautiful. But you need the church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, for your love for us. We thank you for your church. Lord, would you, for those of us, again, who have been wounded, would you give us the space we need, the people we need, the safe people we need to process? Lord, we thank you for your gentleness with us and our hurts and pains. Uh, Lord, for those of us who are just uh, not connected, Lord, would you give us the courage we need to love your church, to belong, to give ourselves away? Uh, Lord, for those of us who were... We're not sure what we think of you, much less your church. Uh, Would you be the one who draws near uh, in the way that you drew near Thomas? Lord, would you, for those of us who don't yet believe, would you show us your wounds? Would you let us touch them and feel them? And Lord, would you give people into our lives that really do love you and that do this, who love each other, are humble and vulnerable, and believe the gospel? However imperfectly. We need it, Lord. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. You can stand and sing our last song.